0: Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. If you were to say something like that on television, they'd flip out. We've got that story. Plus, the Internet Archive is on trial. But first, Dutch farmers rebel, win enough seats to block the technocrats. Originally, actually from Breitbart.com. Mom, that's a Breitbart article. The Anti-Great Reset. Pro-farmer, boer, burger, beweging, BBB movement. I'm mangling that. BBB appears to have won even more seats in the Dutch Senate than expected, while the globalist coalition government has heavy losses. The farmer-citizen movement was founded to represent the interests of Dutch farmers facing severe difficulties or being closed down altogether as a result of Prime Minister Mark Rutte's efforts to to implement European Union-mandated curbs on the use of nitrogen fertilizers in order to, of course, serve the bloc's climate change green agenda. Initially a protest movement, the BBB has been involved in many major demonstrations often involving tractors in the Netherlands. But it carried and arrived as a political force in the country's recent regional government elections for the first time, which also determined the makeup of the first chamber of the state's general, basically the upper house or senate of the Dutch legislature. As the results of the election became clearer, it now appears the scale of the farmer citizens' success was greater than polls initially suggested, which is often the case, with it being due to claim 17 seats in the Senate and become by far the largest part There, according to pro-farmer campaigner Eva Vlardingerbroek. The precarious four-party coalition of the supposedly center-right Prime Minister Mark Root, meanwhile, appears to have suffered somewhat worse losses than expected, suggesting they will be unable to achieve a majority even with the support of the Labour Party and the Greens. On the tweets, The BBB farmer citizens movement gained a staggering 17 seats, and the ruling parties have suffered severe losses and won't reach a majority. Now James, I got a DM earlier this morning. He said, hey, you might talk about that Dutch farmers thing. No agenda says this is rich, creamery butter. So I guess Crackpot and Buzzkill talked about it last week. Kind of talking saying it's all a marketing scam, not really a win. The company behind it. It's called Remarkable Communications. And their client list, of course, includes Bear, Santo, and all kinds of big ag companies. The alleged founder of the party is pictured with the PR firm. We'll include some links. You might have to run them through your own little translator bot there on your end. But we have the Remarkable Clients. They actually have that on an English page. And there is the link to the No Agenda episode. Scroll to about six minutes. And I found basically, it seemed like one person on Twitter talking about this as well saying the Dutch farmers voted for BBB, not knowing their marketing and PR campaigns were funded by Bear Monsanto through Remarkable. Remarkable started the BBB party. Build back Borator? James, what say you? All right. Well, yeah. uh,
1: As an anarchist, I say politics, schmolitics. I couldn't care less what is happening in the Dutch Senate or the Australian Parliament or the Royal Court of Tonga or anything else, any other presumed place of power in the political hierarchy. And as someone with my head screwed on straight, if a politician's lips are moving, they're lying. So I, again, don't don't trust any politician as far as you could throw them. So that's not really where my interest in the story lies. What this I think what the real win here is not the political side of this. It is the fact that this represents something that is happening in the Netherlands and other places. And speaking as a Canadian, I obviously had my eyes on what was happening with the, the Freedom Convoy and all of that. And But that came and went and is gone. And don't worry, it was all rubber stamped by the commission and the government did nothing wrong. And I don't see Canadians continuing the momentum of anything there. Um, At the very least, in the Netherlands, this is still such a pressing political issue that the farmers didn't stop with tractors. They're now engaging in the phony baloney political process, and they'll undoubtedly find out that they're going to be thrown under the tractor uh, with that at some point. But at any rate, um, again, the, the fact that the politicians love to get in front of the parade and start waving their banner. Yes, uh, we're leading this parade. Look, we're for X as well. Hey, we're party X. You can vote for us. Again, shows that the real win here is the the absolute title change in public opinion. And I have to keep this in, even in my own consciousness, uh, because it's easy to forget that me, young James Corbett, starting this, all of the, the Corbett report back in 2007, my most fervent wish the thing that I would have dreamed about happening is to have wide, large-scale public awareness of issues like this, the evil, anti-human, Malthusian depopulation agenda being spearheaded by the UN. And uh, and it wasn't called the Great Reset at that time, but that's exactly what the Great Reset is, and that's what it represents. And if you had talked about that in 2007, what a weird conspiracy loony you are. I trust my government. At the very least, now... Many, many, many people are waking up to this agenda and are motivated about it. And unfortunately, they're still trapped in the political paradigm. But hey, baby steps. We are making progress. And things that are happening today would have been unimaginable even 15 years ago. So again, I try to keep this in the perspective that it should be put in. Not the political, the phony baloney political paradigm, but in what this represents about the people starting to wake up to the real agenda.
0: It will be really interesting maybe when regular folks who became involved in this, maybe they find themselves in Parliament later. Maybe they find themselves being leaned on to maybe vote on something that doesn't, this doesn't make sense with all the things that we fought for. And then things things might get really, really interesting, James. That's how we get going here on New World Next Week, episode 513. It is March 22nd, 2023, as I speak to you in the Internet Archive. Was totally offline last night, James. I, we were talking about starting to kick, kick back and forth some of these stories, and I was like, "Hey, well, speaking of, I've needed the Internet Archive just a few minutes ago, and I—it's just sorry, we're down, nothing. Hopefully, we'll be back. I gave up checking on it le- that night. It's all seemingly back to normal today." Internet Archive strikes back, defies claims of hurting book sales, and defends access to the digital library. Taking this from reclaimthenet.org, and remember, everything we say is always included in the show notes. The Internet Archive continues to legally defend its right to operate the Open Library, a project to digitize books and lend them for free. The Archive, which considers itself a digital library and operates several important projects in this realm, I'm a big fan of the 78 RPM projects, James. Three years ago, sued by four of the biggest publishers who claimed that making eBooks available to people in this way is a form of piracy and will significantly affect their profits. On Monday, this case continued with Internet Archive's legal representation maintaining the organization's defense, namely, that this way of digitizing and lending books falls under the fair use rule contained in the copyright law. And, said lawyer, Joseph Grotz, the publishers, Hatchett, HarperCollins, Wiley, and Penguin Random House, who sued in 2020, are yet to demonstrate that the open library will cause them to lose a dime. The fair use argument is made based on the assertion that the archive is involved in transformative action when it makes copies of physical books already in the open library. I think that part is key. The case is in the hands of a federal judge, John Colt, who, while questioning both sides during oral arguments, said that at the heart of the case was determining if the Internet Archive does in fact violate copyright when it scans a book that has already been licensed to then lend it without paying publishers further fees. Representing the four huge corporations, attorney Elizabeth McNamara said that many other libraries also lend e-books and pay fees to publishers, repeating the claim that the archive's actions cause damage to the market. There was one instance when these publishers were happy to allow an unlimited number of people to borrow books at the same time. (gasps) The first 12 weeks of the scandemic, which the Internet Archive made possible under the National Emergency Library Project. James, that was new news to me. We will include a link to PublishersWeekly.com. They've basically got a rolling compilation. All our coverage, Hatchet versus the Internet Archive, their most recent article when I clicked on it just a little bit ago, at hearing, Judge appears skeptical of Internet Archive's scanning and lending program, and in other news, the Library of Alexandria is on fire. James?
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, James, you're an old media head. You remember all that Napster stuff a couple of decades ago? Oh, wait. I think we're living through another example of this in in such a remarkably similar fashion where the stupid, ridiculous, outdated dinosaur music industry thought that they could put that cork back in the bottle and don't worry, all, all taken care of. And you've seen how music sales have skyrocketed. Oh, wait. Oh, no. If you don't make it easily available, yes, you're going to plummet your market, which is all these people care about, right? So anyway, even from a business point of view, this makes no sense, because we are not talking about wild willy-nilly people copying information as if it's free, which, of course, if you know, I certainly do believe that intellectual property is a complete scam in and of itself, but this isn't even that. It isn't that. It's the controlled library lending, whatever they call it, where literally these are libraries that have a physical copy of this book that they take off the shelves, out of circulation, and put it on the the archive so it's accessible through archive.org. And when somebody logs into archive.org and borrows it from archive.org, then no one else can borrow that copy. It's literally exactly, it is the exact same thing as if you go to the library and borrow a book. But people can't get that through their heads. And I note even a year or two ago, I had, uh, I believe it was a Solutions Watch, about Internet Archive and, and how to borrow books from the Internet Archive. And, and when I went through that demonstration, I actually did get one email from someone who was outraged that I would be promoting piracy and taking money out of people's pockets like this. And I, 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 all I could think to myself is, Do you say that every time you see someone go into a library? Because that is literally what is happening here. It's the exact same thing. There is a physical, actual copy of this book in existence that they're taking off of their shelves so that they can lend. Anyway, people don't even understand what is happening here. But the real point is, uh, yes, exactly, exactly like in the Napster phenomenon, where you would download some, some song or whatever, and you, oh, I really like this. I want the album. And you would buy the album. In the exact same way, you can read a book and decide, you know what? I really like this book. I'm going to get this book. That happens as well. And also, for me as a researcher, it is. I, this is why I constantly link to archive.org versions of books rather than some Amazon link. Go buy it from Amazon, guys. No, I link to the archive.org version uh, because, for example, last weekend, I was writing about uh, Descent into Madness, crazy conspiracy theorists, and I wanted to uh, quote a big block quote from uh, Lance de Haven Smith's Conspiracy Theory in America, excellent book, by the way, everyone should read it. But hey, well, I'm quoting this big thing. Am I going to send people to Amazon? No, no, no. I'm going to send people to archive.org and I'm going to link to the exact page of, of this book. So you click that link and you get to read the exact page where I'm quoting this from. You get to see it in its context. You can flip through the pages and see, start reading the rest. And hey, I like this book. I'm going to buy it. What's wrong with this? I, again, the publishers, even if they're just thinking of their bottom line, are th- are absolutely ridiculous in this. Anyway, as a researcher, I cannot tell you how utterly invaluable the art- Internet Archive is, and uh, having three million books at my fingertips at an instant, instantaneous notice is uh, kind of a handy thing for someone who's interested in research and increasingly interested in books. I am decreasingly interested in watching videos and things on the Internet. I'm increasingly interested in books. The Internet Archive is such an incredible resource. So I hope people are at least aware of this issue and keeping their eye on it. And, you know, I'm not holding my breath waiting for the judge to gavel down on the right side of history. But at any rate, again, it's always all about public opinion and public awareness and public understanding of what this issue is. And until people understand what is happening and the value of it, I think there's probably no no salvation to be seen uh, from the courts.
0: I was gonna shower praise upon them myself they are one of the most sort of fundamental pillars of everything we do as part of monarchy as part of as part of alternative media and then again just pulling back as part of life and enjoyment and enrichment and entertainment i wish we had like five or six more archive.orgs as a redundancy all built in because again i went there last night oh everything is was walled off uh James' quick funny Napster story back in the day, the college radio station where I worked, the guy that was helping set it up was smart enough to actually get us on a T1 line in the late 90s, and we weren't actually wired into the rest of the university system. So when Napster happened, me and my buddy Matt, we would go in in the evenings before they shut down some of the buildings. It's a small school, so a lot of the buildings would shut down at night. We would go in, go into the building, go into the radio station, load up Napster with all kinds of stuff so it could chew on it all overnight. And then the first thing we did when the building would open up and we had classes the next morning was run in, get our songs off of there and make sure that the other advisor of the faculty didn't know what we were doing because he would have flipped out. There's a lot of flipping out on this episode, James. The other thing, too, is it wasn't like I was on there trying to steal a bunch of albums. Like, I I work in the music biz. I know how to get albums. I get a lot of promo albums sent to me. I was into things that weren't available for sale, like Bell and Sebastian live concert bootlegs. That's what I was downloading from Napster. And now what? Fast forward nearly 25 years later, and Metallica buys Vinyl Pressing Factory because they are selling so much music. I'll include a link to that. James, I'll include a link actually to the specific 78 RPM project as part of archive.org. It's amazing. And speaking of about 25 years ago, our third and final story on this New World Next Week, episode 513 911, the fifth plane. Pilot and flight attendants say they were targeted by hijackers. James, this was kind of a surprise to me. A six month TMZ investigation raises serious questions. Was there a fifth plane targeted by hijackers on 9-11? The flight attendants and pilot aboard United Flight 23 believe they were indeed targeted and they made their case on Fox last week at da-da-da-da-da. It's interesting, James, to see how much coverage this story has actually gotten. I've realized recently TMZ and Fox affiliates must have some kind of deal because they're promoting them all the time. They'll have Harvey Levin on as a guest. Oh, what are you going to talk about tonight? So this obviously comes comes kind of baked into the cake that, crap, we have to promote this 9-11 thing. United 23, a 767 aircraft scheduled to depart JFK at 9 a.m. bound for L.A. Six passengers aroused the suspicion of flight attendants for various reasons. Among them, they were convinced one of the passengers was a man disguised as a woman. That would become much more controversial a couple years later. The plane was near the runway, ready to take off, when JFK was abruptly closed after the World Trade Center was hit. It taxied back to the gate, and the plane was fully evacuated and locked. Twenty minutes later, people on the ground saw two uniformed people running in the passenger cabin. Authorities came, unlocked the door, and found the hatch leading from the belly to the cabin was open something that alarmed the FBI. The flight attendants were interviewed by the feds and even taken to a lineup to see if they could identify the four passengers. Box cutters were found in the first-class seat pockets on a 767 parked next to United 23. That plane was not scheduled for takeoff at the critical time. The pilot was informed and believes those box cutters were meant for his plane and someone on the ground just confused the two planes. In addition to the flight attendant and pilot, the documentary includes interviews with the United Dispatcher and a number of nine eleven commissioners and others like Bill Maher. In other coverage of this from Israel National News, Fifth Plane likely failed target during 9-11 attacks. And I'll just include just a search engine search. Fifth Plane, 9-11 documentary. James, had you heard about this? Uh, not United 23 in
1: particular, no, um, but James, did you just assume that CIA sponsored terrorists' gender? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you're getting canceled. I didn't. Yeah. They did. <laughs> All right. Well, if only, if only the crack reporters at TMZ had bothered to do some real research and, I don't know, come across uh, 9-11 war games, corbettreport.com slash 911 war games, where you will find out not about the 5th, plane on 9/11 but the 29th plane yes 29 separate reported hijackings on the morning of 9/11 I detail some of them in specific details In 9-11 war games, United 177, which was inexplicably reported as hijacked at 9.25 a.m., despite despite still being on the ground at Logan International Airport, Delta 1989, a 767 from Boston to L.A. that was repeatedly identified as suspicious on the morning of 9-11, ordered to land at a secure remote area of Cleveland Hopkins Airport, where the pilot signaled all clear to the SWAT team outside with blood running down his face. Uh, Continental Airlines 321, which had inexplicably squawked the hijack code from the plane's transport, transponder not once, not twice, three times before being safely brought down in Peoria. A KL-85 from Seoul to New York, which inexplicably sent five separate and ongoing indicators of a hijacking situation before being intercepted over Alaska and forced down in Whitehorse. And literally dozens of other suspicious aircraft, and I have a link in there to Shoestring911 blogspot that uh, talks about the many false hijackings of 9-11, as many as 29 planes reported as hijacked that morning. So anyway, there's a lot more to this story than the fifth plane, but it does, of course, as always, the the real interesting part of this story is, why now? Why TMZ? Why now? Why are they talking? What is going on? I don't know. Uh, Call me suspicious. But I feel that there's room for limited hangout um, in this story where uh, now, 20 plus years later, It's okay to start saying, hey, that was kind of weird on 9-11. That thing was, that doesn't make any sense. Hey, what about that thing? Remember 21 years ago when they were talking about the fifth plane being hijacked and nothing ever came of it? And so that you can motivate people to be like, release the documents about United 23. That's the hidden secret you've been keeping locked up about nine eleven, guys. Where there's a much bigger picture that they're not talking about for some reason. Anyway, so it, interesting. I mean, this is interesting. and It's another data point, but it's only one data point among many that are being c- excluded from this conversation.
0: Maybe TMZ has a... I'm sure they have a tip line. Maybe we can send them <laughs> our show notes when we're done here. Yeah. So... Case in point, I already had queued up here to talk about on this segment, in other shocking news, Tucker Carlson, once an antagonist of 9-11 conspiracy theorists, Tucker Carlson cited the fall of WTC7 on 9-11 as a topic that people in the media aren't allowed to ask questions about. He appeared on The Redacted to say, quote, if you say, like, what actually happened with Building 7? Like, that's weird, right? It doesn't like, what is that? If you were to say something like that on television, they'd flip out. They would flip out. So you'd, like, lose your job over that. We will include the link to that entire interview, James. I've not watched it, but again... I find myself oftentimes coming back to the old, I believe, Mark Twain quote about reaching the point where it costs nothing to be a patriot. They are risking absolutely nothing, meanwhile the rest of us for the last 20 plus years have risked our family and friends and livelihood and all this stuff. But for them it's just like, oh man, you know it's a really buzzy topic we could totally get away with on TV now? All this conspiracy show business. And that's what it kind of seems like it's turned into. Ever since, of course, old Swamp Thing came along to save us all, but he'll be back to save their ratings very soon, James. They just allowed him back onto Twitter, onto Facebook, onto YouTube. The same week, the very exciting "Is he gonna get arrested?" thing is going on. Hi, yeah, 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 James. We do have nine eleven war games at the store, right? As far as I know. Okay, we do. that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should be in stock i was yeah. just, uh, just i uh, so. just double checking because because that's the double that's nine eleven war games and insider trading right? and yeah nine eleven trillions. that's right trillions that's right, trillions, that's right. <sighs> luckily you guys you don't have to listen to my mangling of it you can just head to newworldnextweek.com and pick up a copy of nine eleven trillions nine eleven war games uh having some d- stupid technical difficulties with the usbs mostly due to shipping derps but we are working on it very much behind the scenes new corbett shirt sizes have been ordered they are on the way casbot and i are actually just looking at doing a red monarchy baseball cap for 2023 so all that and more is at newworldnextweek.com and again that supports our work have you ever seen an advertisement have you ever seen some pre-roll on the platforms corbett's been kicked off of (laughs) And as best I can, James, I, I try and run a radio station from home. I lost power not once, but twice today. It is very windy, windy, windy up here in the northern New Mexico. High desert, they call it. But generally speaking, I stream Monday through Fridays, 9 to 5, Mountain Time, at mediamonarchy.com listen. That is indeed episode 513, James.
1: Awesome. Appreciate it. Well, I hope the weather gods don't rain on your parade tomorrow and that you're able to broadcast, but I hope everyone will be tuning in for that, mediamonarchy.com. On that note, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Talk to you again soon.
0: Thanks so much, buddy. Take care.